Go ahead and get your Bibles and go to Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to read this passage. It's a famous passage, one of the most famous passages in the whole Bible. Then we're going to pray, and then we'll show you what it means for us today on our third anniversary as a church. So let's read this together, Matthew 6, starting in verse 7, and then we'll go to verse 13, and then we'll pray. And when you pray, Jesus is talking, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard by their many words. That, by the way, is very freeing for any of you who don't like public prayer and you feel like you've got to sound smart. Jesus is saying, don't do that. Just be simple. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Also really good news. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for giving us this word, for sending your son to be the word in the flesh and for in this mind-blowing, um, supernatural miracle, giving us the word on paper so that we can know you, so that we could love you, so that we can encounter you and um, have all of the hope and the joy and the peace that you intended for us in this life. So as we unpack this word today, uh, we ask that we would see you. Spirit, we ask you to transform our hearts and to capture our imaginations, to stir our love for Christ, that you be glorified in all of it. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Now, if you've been at Life Church for a while, or um, maybe you've at least been to a starting point, or maybe you've at least looked at the pamphlet in your gift bag that you got today, if it's your first time, you have seen that our vision statement as a church is in Charlotte as it is in heaven. It's not actually a statement. It's more like a fragment of a statement. It's basically just plucked right out of this prayer that Jesus just told us to pray that God's kingdom would come and that his will would be done in Charlotte as it is in heaven. That's our vision prayer as a church. I got to tell you this story. I went to a church planting seminar training thing for aspiring church planters probably four years ago before we had even uh, launched this church. And one of the things that all of us had to do was come up with a vision statement for our church. And uh, this would be the statement that would define us. This would be the statement that would drive us. And it would also be able to attract people to us because they'd be able to see our statement and be like, oh, I, I like that statement. I want to be a part of that church. So we had these experts come and, and teach us, and there are probably about 20 or 30 of us in this room. I don't really remember all of it. I try to block it out. We're not with this group anymore. Um, but one of the expert church planters that was trying to coach us and inspire us uh, shared his vision statement, and his vision statement was, this ain't your grandma's church. And I was like, oh. I, I, thought we were, I thought it was a joke. So I, I almost laughed out loud and I was like looking for other people to be laughing too and nobody was laughing and everyone is writing down and, and uh, it's like, oh, well, what does this even mean? I, I love grandmas, I know, I love my grandma. Why are we bashing grandmas right now? 
this is really confusing. Um, I think what he was trying to say, and I know what he was trying to say. He was trying to say that his church wasn't going to be like stuffy and grandmas aren't stuffy. Okay, so I think what he was trying to say was the church that our grandmas went to was like old and stuffy and rigid and boring. And his church is going to be cool and edgy and like just next level rock and roll. Seriously, I almost laughed out loud. I couldn't really control myself. And then when nobody else was, I just kind of leaned down on my chair like, okay, this is what it's going to be. All right. So I just sat there. Then another guy gets up there, expert church planner, leading one of the fastest growing churches in America. And uh, gets up and tells us the most important thing that we need to think about when creating our vision statement is how catchy it is and how concise it is and how compelling and memorable we can make it. And he literally spent his entire lecture trying to show us why his three-word statement was actually the key to their church's success. Like 10 minutes of that, 30 minutes were all about the adverb that he chose. How important it was to have a good adverb. Then they got these like big sticky note papers. You know what I'm talking about? It's not like the yellow ones, it's the big ones. And the whole top is sticky. And so we had to get our big sticky paper and put it on the wall. All 30 of us newbies who knew nothing about church and kingdom and all this kind of stuff. And we had to write out our vision statement. And so we wrote it out and, and then the experts came, you know, one after another and ripped them to shreds. <laughs> Told us how, you know, we weren't trying hard enough and all this kind of stuff. I remember, um, I remember the guy looked at mine and mine is not a statement, so that was a strike against me. Um, it also wasn't something I came up with, so that was a strike against me. And basically, he told me I was lazy. I needed to try harder. <laughs> and so, again, I was like trying to laugh, like, is this a joke? Oh, no. And then, oh, yeah, that sounds smart. That, that's great. And then I just kind of moved on. We kept our statement, by the way. I'm going to be honest with you guys. I, I think that what I experienced in that room with all those other church planters and all of those other church planting experts is one of the main reasons the church in America is hooked up to a ventilator right now. We have spent so much time trying to be cool, so much time trying to be edgy, so much time trying to be rock and roll and clever and relevant that we have actually missed the point altogether. Jesus did not call us to be defined or driven by cool or clever. He called us to be defined and driven by heaven. Pray like this, ask for this, dream for this, long for this, that my kingdom will come and my will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Anything less than that is nothing. You see, with enough talent, with enough charisma, with enough savvy and work ethic and production value and money, anyone can build a church. But only God himself can build a kingdom, his kingdom. And he wants to accomplish nothing less than that. 
So what does this prayer mean? I want to talk about this prayer. I, I talk about this prayer every year on this date. It's not the same sermon as last year. Don't worry. It'll be different next year too. We could talk about this for the next hundred years and never tap it. What does this prayer mean? Well, first of all, it's eschatological. Any of you ever heard that word before? It's a big one, I know. It's a, it's a, I know, it's a scary Bible word. Eschatological simply means it's, it's a prayer for the future. It's a, it's a prayer for our final destination. Eschatology is like the fancy big word for like the study of the end times. So if something is eschatological, it's related to the end times. Okay, so first of all, this prayer is eschatological. It's looking to the future. And, and the prayer forces us to recognize the fact that really a lot of things that we're not there yet. First of all, it forces us to see the earth isn't heaven. That somehow the earth is removed from heaven. That's one of the first things we see. Then we see that um, we aren't with God because God is in heaven. Our father who is in heaven. And we're not there. So not going great so far. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. On top of that, we don't obey him very well on earth. And so the prayer is, God, you're in heaven. We're not. You're with all of these angels and spiritual beings and they obey you perfectly and we don't. So please, one day, would you bring heaven down so that we can be with you again and so that we can obey you perfectly again? It's an eschatological prayer. On the day that Christ returns, he is literally going to do just this. And, and we've talked about this for the last month. We've been talking about heaven. And so if you've missed any of those, I think they're on the podcast or the website. But one day when Christ returns, he is, he's going to bring this new heavenly city down and he's going to merge heaven and earth. You remember that? And when he does that, he's going to remove all sin, which means we're going to obey his will perfectly. He's going to remove all obstacles that keep us from the presence of God and he's going to restore all things. So his kingdom will be fully realized. His will will be perfectly accomplished on earth as it is in heaven. And so this prayer first and foremost is eschatological. It's longing for that day when Jesus comes back, his kingdom comes and his will will be done. You guys following that? Jesus told us to pray for that day. Pray for the day when I come back. And I just maybe ask you a simple question. How many times did you pray that this past week? Out of all the things you prayed for, where was like Jesus come back on your list? Because that's what he wants us to pray for first and foremost, to set our eyes on heaven, to long for the day of his return. And we want it. Okay, so that's the first thing. It's eschatological. But at the same time, and this is what we're going to focus on today, this is a prayer for here and now as well. And this is mind-blowing to me. It's, it should be dumbfounding to all of us. We know that this is a prayer for here and now because when Jesus came the first time, he inaugurated his kingdom. He established his kingdom. So he, he described this over and over again while he was on earth. And I have some passages just to show you this. His kingdom is coming, but his kingdom is here. Look at this with me, Mark 1.15. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Matthew 3, 2, repent, 
for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew 4, 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Finally, Luke 10, 9, when Jesus is sending out the 72 disciples to, to share the gospel in all of the towns that he's about to visit, this is what he says to them. Heal the sick and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into the streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to your feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, the kingdom of God has come near. So when Jesus came the first time, he inaugurated his kingdom. It's like he put the flag in the ground, which means the kingdom is already in our midst. It's already here. And when Jesus comes the second time, he's going to consummate the kingdom, which is what we've been talking about for the last month. And that means it hasn't been fully realized. So right now we are in the middle of it. We're in between the first coming and the second come. We exist in the, it's already here, but it's not yet consummated stage of world history. The kingdom of God is at hand, but the kingdom of God is still coming. Are you following me right now? This is theology 101, really. Physically speaking, the kingdom's not here. There's no throne that Jesus is sitting on with a, a rod and he's not ruling us and we can't see him and we're not ruling and reigning with him physically, but spiritually speaking, it absolutely is. So look at how um, Luke put it in Luke 17, verse 20. He said, being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Do you know what it means for the kingdom of God to be in the midst of you? It literally means the kingdom of God is within you. It's spiritual. Jesus might not be reigning on a physical throne, but he is reigning on the throne of your heart. And so the kingdom of God is within you now. What does all of this mean and why is this so important? Well, it's really important because it means that when Christ tells us to pray, that his kingdom would come and his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven, it's not just about the future, which means we don't have a defeatist mentality about earth. And we don't just sit on our hands and wait for the day he comes back. He actually wants us to pray right now for heaven to invade, for ourselves, for our families, for our communities, for this city, for our country. He wants us to pray that our world would look and feel and act a little bit more like heaven. And so the job of the church, the job of our church isn't to come up with a cool brand or a cool logo or build some big buildings or create a nice little social club. The job of our church and every church is to bring a little bit more of heaven down onto the earth. 
Look at how Jesus put it in Matthew 16. And I tell you, you are Peter. He's talking to Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I will give you, now speaking to the church, the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So what's going on here is that Jesus is going to build his church no matter what the devil throws at it so that the church will be a conduit for the kingdom of heaven in the world. That's why we exist. As Christ builds his church, his kingdom advances in the world. And so every church at its core is nothing less than a kingdom outpost. We belong to heaven and we're bringing more and more of heaven into the kingdom of darkness. This is why church planting is so important, by the way, because if if God's plan A for the world is the church, then we need to plant as many churches as possible. Don't worry, we're not going to try to do that in year four, but soon, hopefully, Lord willing. Okay, now, this is just an introduction The big question, because I know you're all asking the big question. What does it mean for us as Life Church to bring a little bit more of heaven into the world? That's the big question. What does on earth as it is in heaven mean for Life Church? What does it look like to be a kingdom outpost in Charlotte? If this is the prayer that defines us, and if this is the prayer that drives us, then what does it actually mean? And there are all kinds of things that we could talk about, but today, on our birthday, I just want to focus on two of them. So if you're taking notes, I want to show you two heavenly realities that we have been invited to enjoy and called to extend right here and right now. Two heavenly realities that we have been invited to enjoy and called to extend, not in the future, but today. First, we've been invited to enjoy an ongoing experience of the presence of God. Now, again, we just spent the last month talking about what heaven is going to be like Listen to it if you haven't already. But heaven, if you remember, is first and foremost about the presence of God. Heaven at its core is ultimately about us getting face to face with God in all of his glory and all of his holiness and living, being satisfied by it forever. In heaven, we won't have to seek him with veiled faces We won't have to seek him with these fallen bodies and foggy glasses that make everything confusing and marred and concealed. Our experience of him will not be obstructed by sin. Our enjoyment of him will not be hindered by the curse. We will be ushered into his glory. We'll see him face to face and the wonder and the euphoria and the excitement of that moment is going to fill our hearts. It's going to satisfy our longings and it's going to set this trajectory of joy for all eternity. That's heaven at its core. That's what it's going to be like, an ever-deepening, never-ending experience of the presence of God. And yet, when 
the New Testament writes about the presence of God, it shows us over and over and over again that we don't actually have to wait until heaven to experience it. And so again, you have this already but not yet tension. One day it's gonna be perfect and it's gonna be complete, but even now we can have a taste of it. We can talk to him in prayer. We can hear from him in his word. We can be encouraged and we can be empowered by him. We can be satisfied and delighted by him. Look at how the apostle Paul put it in 2 Corinthians 3. He said, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Maybe I didn't put this in the slides. I'm sorry. This is 2 Corinthians 3, 16 through 18. Now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to the next. He's not talking about heaven right here. He's talking about here and now. With unveiled face, we can behold the glory of the Lord and be taken from one degree of glory to the next. When someone comes to Christ, when someone turns to Christ, the Spirit does this. And that progression of glory to glory to glory just extends into heaven and it lasts forever. But it starts now. We haven't been called to wait until heaven to experience and enjoy the presence of God. Now, I think one of the best ways to picture what's going on here is, well, at least for me, is to think about the presence of God like the sun. So, I don't know if you've been doing any thinking about the sun recently, but I have, uh, this past week especially. In heaven, we're going to be so engulfed in the glory of God that it's going to feel like we're literally walking on the sun. Like, there will be no escaping it. The light, the heat, the power, the beauty, the wonder... It's going to just surround us. Imagine right now, just, you know, if you need to close your eyes, you can, but just imagine yourself on the sun right now and just being engulfed by it. Inescapable, unavoidable beauty, power, heat, light. This is why C.S. Lewis once wrote that hell is going to be locked from the inside. Hell is going to be locked from the inside, so to speak, because people who hate God don't want to be around him. And, and they don't want to be around him so much that they run from him and they try to suppress the truth of him. And heaven is nothing but this burning sun that surrounds you and there is no escape. And so they run as fast and as far as they can and they lock that door behind them. But right now, I just want to think about the sun and the glory of God. The spirit has opened our eyes to his beauty. We're not running from him anymore. We love it. We want it. But right now, our our sinful natures and our fallen bodies um, keep us from being able to walk on the sun. We can't do it. We can't stand in the presence of the fullness of his glory. We can't see his face and live. We actually have to remove ourselves from it a little bit. He he removed us for us. We have to put on sunscreen and sunglasses and sun shirts and sun hats to protect ourselves 
from him. This is what I have to do every time I go to the beach, by the way. I don't know if you've noticed, but I'm not tan. And we just got out of summer. <laughs> so there's a reason for that. Um, I try to cover up almost every square inch of my upper body when I go to the beach. Um, and I'm too pale to handle the sun. A few years ago, I had a little bit of cancer in my face. It wasn't serious. Doctor removed it, and she basically told me that the sun was not my friend. I already knew that. And so I'm laying on this gurney, and she's cutting into my face. And then she tells me that if I don't start wearing 100 SPF every time I go outside, that I'm going to die. <laughs> that I'm going to just be seeing her constantly for the rest of my life until it's over. And so um, evidently, come to find out, melanin is not just cosmetic, you know, wow. Um, melanin is actually protective and pale people don't have it. And so when we go out in the sun, we don't get protected and we don't turn this beautiful golden brown like my wife. We just get burned and then we peel and it's disgusting. So every time I go to the beach now, I gotta bundle up and cover up like it's winter or else I'm in big trouble. Here's a picture from this past summer to show you what I'm talking about. That's at the beach. And uh, one of my friends, I thought you'd be able to see the comment, but you can't. One of my friends, friends, I use the term loosely here. He comments, uh, he says, it looks like one of you wants a tan and the other is cool with being white. <laughs> and I just wanted to say, I'm not cool with it, okay? I just don't have a choice. This is my reality. It's my lot in life. But here's the thing I want you to see. In the same way that I have to remove myself from the sun to some degree because of my fallen body, all of us have to remove ourselves from the presence of God to some degree because of our fallen nature. We can't stand the light. We can't stand the heat. It would burn us up on the spot. There's got to be some space and some separation or we're going to be destroyed. And so the presence of God in heaven is going to be like walking on the sun. It's going to be incredible. And since we can't handle that right now, we long for that day. And we pray for that day. And we say, oh, God, oh, could it just be like your kingdom? Would it just come and invade us so that it would be like here on earth, just like it is up there in heaven, and we could be on the sun with you? That's what we're supposed to be praying here. It's eschatological in nature on earth as it is in heaven. But at the same time, even though right now we can't walk on the sun, there has to be space in between us. We can still experience and enjoy the sun. Some of you can, at least. <laughs> if you got lots of melanin, even more so. In the here and now, you got two options when it comes to the sun. You can either hide from the sun or you can seek it out. You can either bathe in 100 SPF and put on a long sleeve shirt and a safari hat and look like a loser, sit under a tent, or you can bathe in coconut oil and you can get one of those aluminum trays and you can position your towel in whatever way the sun is hitting the, the, the brightest and the hardest and the hottest and you can just lay out there and you can say, hit me baby. And you can bask in the sun. In other words, you can either be like these guys on the left. Wait, where is it? No, I don't have it, huh? Oh, there they are. Oh, you can't even see them. 
They're literally fully clothed on the left, or you can be like that guy on the right. I clearly got that picture off a stock website. I didn't pay for it. <laughs> Guys, the same is true of, of the presence of God. You can either hide from it or you can seek it out. You can either run from it or you can run to it. You can either do everything in your power to blot it out so that it doesn't touch you or you can do everything in your power to bask in it. You can either pretend like he doesn't exist or you can let, it, you can let him consume every second of your existence. Which one is it do you think that Christ is telling us to pray for? What would it look like for heaven to invade earth right now for you? His kingdom to come and his will to be done in, in your life in our church. The life of this city. It's as if Jesus is saying, listen, in heaven, you're going to be walking on the sun. And it's going to be incredible. But until then, chase after it. Bathe in it. Celebrate because of it. Be satisfied by it. You don't have to wait until heaven to experience it, to enjoy it. The light, the heat, the power, the beauty, the freedom, it is there for you. Matthew 7, 7 through 8 says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. If you want the presence of God, it is there for the taking. That's why we exist as a church to help people experience and enjoy life in Christ, in his presence. Because there's nothing better than that. We want people to know the joy and the peace and the hope and the freedom and the purpose and the glory that come from being united to him and walking with him. It's more satisfying than anything this plan has to offer. And people are desperate for it. Do you feel the desperation in our city for the presence of God? I feel it. It's weighty. People in South End, people in Uptown and Midtown and Noda, Plaza Midwood, they all have their own unique personalities and their unique vibes. And a lot of you are represented here and you got a lot of pride in your borough and I respect that. I can't help but notice like there's a different sense of weightiness in each borough. I feel like South End is just like this, this um, never-ending drowning of purposelessness and um, like lack of identity and hope with alcohol and sex. Like that's South End to me. I love South End. Absolutely love South End. Um, but I am so burdened for South End because all I see is emptiness. And then you go to like Noda and Plaza and it's like a little more, it's, a, it's darker to be honest with you. Like I can feel the oppression, like the spiritual oppression. I can feel it. It's tangible. I love Noda and Plaza. Some of the best food in the city. It's dark there. It's weighty there. One of my favorite spots is the common market. But if you, when you go into the common market, you feel the oppression Every borough has its thing. 
Uptown's a bunch of banker bros, you know. We love you. <laughs> Everyone is desperate for the presence of God. They just don't know it. They don't know it. I think, or I know, we were, we were created for the presence of God. We were created for the divine. And so there's this natural, intrinsic emptiness when we're not satisfied by the divine. But you know, even more than that, you know what, what's really fascinating to me? I think that every single person on the planet has encountered God and experienced the presence of God, whether they know it or not. And that actually creates more of a desire for him. Let, let me show you what I mean. Like when I used to go to the mall when I was a kid, Cary Town Center, any, any Cary people in here? Cary Town Center, baby, let's go. That place is awful right now, but... <laughs> 20 years ago, that was the peak of living, okay? Um, my dad uh, would take my, my twin brother and my sisters and I, we'd take us to the mall. And in the back corridor of the mall was this Christian bookstore. And so we'd always go to the Christian bookstore and we'd watch Veggie Tales and listen to rock music that we weren't allowed to listen to, even though it was Christian. We were weird. And my dad would buy books. And, and we loved going to the mall uh, to do this. Um, but in our mall, right next to this uh, Christian bookstore was a Cinnabon and um, Cinnabon, it like, is that how you say it? Am I even Cinnabon? Cinnabon. Let's go with the French. Okay, Cinnabon. Um, so, so Cinnabon has this, like, this odor, <laughs> this scent um, that just permeates the entire corridor of the mall. So we'd be walking through the mall and minding my own business, probably arguing with my twin about something, and uh, looking in the window shops of everything. And there was a game, uh, video game store on the way there. So we'd jump in there and play some demos. And then we'd jump out. And then I'm not paying attention. I'm not thinking about anything. And all of a sudden, I'd get a whiff of cinnamon. And everything would change. I'd, I'd get this whiff of cinnamon. And all of my senses would be on fire. And, and all of a sudden, I was craving cinnamon rolls. And I'm like, why am I craving cinnamon rolls? I'm not even hungry. And, and it would just hit you and it would create a desire and then you'd get closer and the smell would get closer and you'd be like, dad, we gotta get a cinnamon roll. And he was having the same thing happen to him. And he's like, you're right, we gotta get a cinnamon roll. And so then we'd eat our cinnamon roll. We loved going to the mall. But that with created this desire for more. It created a desire to, to find the source of that smell and feast on it. That's what the whiff did. The same thing is true of God. We were created to know him and enjoy him and worship him, and there's this intrinsic need, and yet at the same time, what makes that need even bigger is that there are whiffs of his presence all, presence all over the world. In our day in, day out existence, every beautiful sunset you've ever seen is an encounter in the presence of God. Every beautiful painting or song is, is a whiff of his beauty. Every comforting meal or fire or a conversation is a whiff of his comfort. Every breathtaking thrill, every moment of ecstasy is a whiff of the awe and wonder of his glory. And so every single person on the planet every single person in our city wasn't just created for the presence of God, but is subconsciously being 
drawn to the presence of God and yet they don't know how to find him. And so they're chasing their tails. They know he's there. They want him. They're empty. They want to be satisfied, but they can't get there because they're lost in darkness. Nobody's turned on the light. Guys, the gospel is only good news if it gets there in time, which means it's only good news for the people who've heard it. And for the people who are lost in darkness, they need to hear it. This is why we exist as a church. So that people who are longing for God, who are being drawn to God, but have no idea how to get there, can be drawn to the table. We remove every roadblock. We remove every obstacle. We pave the way. We lay out the red carpet and we say, there he is. He's been waiting for you. This is what Jesus is telling us to pray for. This reality of heaven that can be experienced and enjoyed even now. And so this is the first reality. We've been invited to experience the presence of God. Second, we've been called to extend the renewal of God. I'm going to read this passage. That It's the second half of the passage I, I called us with at the very beginning. Isaiah 55 for as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish that which I purpose. It will succeed in the thing for which I sent it. For you will go out in joy and be led forth in peace and the mountains and the hills before you will break forth into singing and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn, there will come up the cypress. Instead of the briar, there will come up the myrtle and it will make a name for the Lord an everlasting sign that will not be cut off. Now, guys, this is what we need to see. The truth is that in heaven, everything's going to be renewed. We saw this a few weeks ago. Everything's going to be restored. Everything that was broken by the curse of sin and death will be made whole. Every tear will be wiped away. Every sorrow will be transformed into joy. Every evil will be punished. Every trial explained and justified. Every wound healed. And so we cry out now, Father, may it be here on earth as it is in heaven. We long for that day because renewal and restoration are the realities of heaven. Just as this experience of the presence of the fullness of God won't be realized until heaven this extension of total renewal won't be realized until heaven either. And so we long for the day of the Lord. But at the same time, here and now, renewal is not only possible, it's actually commanded. 
We don't just have to long for heaven because this passage that I just read to you in Isaiah says that whenever the gospel goes out into the world, do you know what happens? Renewal. Thorns become cypresses. Briars become myrtles. Isaiah 61 says the poor will be lifted up, the brokenhearted will be comforted, the captives will be liberated, prisons will be emptied, beauty will be created from ashes. Every time the word of God goes forth. So you and I in this church have been called to extend that renewal in our city. That's why we're here. This is what it means to pray on earth as it is in heaven. What that means for us is that as a church, we want to be vessels of renewal. We want to be the bolt cutters for those who are chained to their addictions. We want to be the food and the water to those who are hungry and thirsty. We want to be the mentor for the fatherless which is why we're at Sedgefield Middle doing reading buddies and lunch buddies. We want to be a refuge for the oppressed. Now, this plays out in all kinds of situations, and we're going to talk more about this on our vision night on Wednesday, but I do want to mention something because it's so exciting, and I, I want to call you to something. This plays out in all kinds of different situations, but one of the most significant things that we're going to be doing this year is we're going to be turning our attention to uh, the Southside Projects right off of Raymont Road, which is just right over there. Just down the street from us in our three-mile radius. They're part of our neighborhood. Now, we love being in South End. It is a gift of God to just be given this property in literally the coolest borough in the state. But it isn't all hip and it isn't all educated, and it isn't all upwardly mobile, and it isn't all young professionals, and it isn't mostly Caucasian. It's broken families and broken situations who are desperate to have someone speak a word over them that could bring healing and hope and life. Spiritual transformation always leads to societal transformation. But only if the spiritual transformation extends to everyone. So I can do a church down the road that will remain nameless. Who has intentionally said they're not going after the Southside projects because they're going after different kinds of people. God forbid that ever be us. We have been given a three-mile radius that we are responsible for. It makes up about 400,000 people, and they don't all look the same. And they don't all have money, and they have needs that are bigger than us. We did an outreach there a year ago. And we, we just did a free cookout. We were giving away free burgers and free hot dogs. And there's this 10-year-old boy. And he eats his burger. And he comes back with a bunch of plastic bags. 
And he's asking us, can I take some of this home? And we're like, sure. And so he's just loading up these bags with burgers and hot dogs, a 10-year-old boy. And we're like, what's going on? And he's like, I got younger brothers and sisters who haven't eaten in weeks at home. They're going to love this. We tried to follow up with them. We got information. We tried to follow up with every single one of them. You know what happened, though? Not a single one of them followed up with us. So this is what we're praying for this year. We're not doing one-off events anymore. We're praying for some really big things. In fact, three specific things, and I want to call you to this right now, and I want you to pray for this too. Maybe some of you in this moment will be called. First, we're praying for God to call at least two couples to move there. To give up the comforts of a nice apartment so that they can bring the presence of Jesus to those who desperately need it. Two couples. On top of that, we're going to start a weekly outreach to the kids. We're going to engage them and we're going to have a presence in their lives week after week after week. And we're praying for at least six people who will help us lead that and organize that. Third, we're praying for a bus so we can get them here and we can love them, even if it's just for a morning on a Sunday. They can hear the gospel. What this means for our church is, guys, we're going to be stretched. And that's good because the kingdom is so much bigger than you and it's so much bigger than me. It's so much bigger than our preferences and our comfort. The kingdom of God is the renewal of all things. And so we got to get about it. Get busy doing our Father's work. I am so excited about what God is going to do. We're not going to neglect South End. Those snowballs are already rolling. Pumped about it. People are getting saved left and right. We are so excited. We're praying massive things for South End and strategizing really big things for South End. Come on Wednesday night, we're going to talk about all the specifics. But we are going to intentionally target Southside projects this year. It's time. Listen, I know I've said a lot. I hope this is encouraging. I also hope it's challenging. The moment we slip into comfortable Christianity and we think we are doing great and we're awesome and people are getting saved and we're so cool and God's growing us is the moment we lose our lamppost. Jesus has called us to something so much bigger than a church. He's called us to something so much bigger than filling these seats. He has called us to bring heaven into this city, to see lives changed, to see transformation, to see healing, and to see renewal. And so as your pastor, I'm excited. And as your pastor, I'm right there with you. And I just want us all to get after it together so that he might make a name for himself in this church. Amen? Would you stand? Let's pray. We'll respond together.